Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Um, I just want to thank you all on behalf of our little family for the opportunity uh, to share life with you for the past few days. And um, it has just been a joy to return to Camp Syker. You know, the last time we were here, we had been married for a little bit less than a year. Okay, so at that point, we could point to a time where we were married. Um, and now we are so much more married than, than we were. Uh, it's like sanctification, really. Uh, um, but, you know, the Lord has really been working in our lives, and uh, we're just so happy. Um, you know, uh, you not only have welcomed us, but you have embraced us, and we're just so proud to be part of the Camp Psyker family. So thank you all for doing that. You know, we're not special people. In fact, it's just the opposite. You know, it's overwhelming that the God who created the universe would choose to reveal himself through ordinary people like us. Um, that the Jesus who showed us in every single moment of his life what abundant resurrection, good news life was all about would choose to live through us to transform such a broken, sin-sick world. And so I want to thank you on behalf of many um, with whom and among whom we labor uh, for caring so much about God's work in Japan. Um, and it ultimately is his work. So thank you for building on those eternal foundations. Thank you. Um, I know uh, Dr. Junman has been, uh, has been very kind in, in talking about us. And, uh, and I can speak after I've thrown up a couple times. Uh, and I can put together a coherent sentence once in a while, but uh, let's manage expectations here. <laughs> but, you know, I, I like to start the way I always start. You know, before we came five years ago, one of the ladies in our church, she came to us. And her name is Megumi, which in Japan, Japanese means grace. And she said, I want to thank all of you. I want you to thank all the people in the United States for caring enough for caring enough about our corner of the world. And for the first time, I feel like I'm not alone in this journey. For the first time, I feel like I'm part of something bigger. I feel like I'm part of the worldwide body of Christ. And the people in the America have done that for us. So she wanted, so I begin that way by, by sharing the thankfulness of those people with whom we work. If I may, I'd like to begin by reading a very short and very dear passage of Scripture to all of us who are sent out, the missionaries, those who are sent out into the world. And it's a very familiar passage. It's out of Luke chapter 9, the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, uh, go ahead and turn there. And we're going to be reading the first six verses of Luke chapter 9 and then picking up in, in verse 10, which is a very familiar miracle story. In fact, it's the only miracle story that's shared across all four Gospels, which is pretty significant because if you've studied the Bible at all and you've looked at the Gospels, uh, you may real, you may, um, there's certain events in the life of Jesus, for example, his death and resurrection most prominently, that are repeated across all four Gospels. But there's not a lot of events within the life of Jesus. Even, even his birth is not shared across all four Gospels. But this is one of those stories that is. So it's very significant to the early church. For some reason, this was very important that they preserved this story, that they told this story. And so let's begin with verse 1, if you, if you have your Bibles open. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. That's how the journey always begins. Jesus never sends us out without imbuing us with his power and his authority. You know, whether it's in the book of Acts, wait for the power from on high, and ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Whether it's in the Great Commission, and Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, which if you've read the Gospel of Luke, is exactly what Jesus had been doing. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics 
apiece. Whatever, whichever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. In other words, exactly what Jesus told them to do. Now skip down to verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, told them all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, and this is the key line of this passage, You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, May them sit, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. And you all know how this story ends, right? So they all ate and were filled. And 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. This is the word of the Lord. You know, we see the world through so many filters. Um, our backgrounds, our experiences, our education, our lack of education, um, the news that we consume. God help us. But I believe we're to see all of our lives ultimately through the lens of God's word. Because it's then that Jesus is revealed to us. And so for all of those who are sent out, it begins with living in his power and his authority. Um, and so I like to begin with a question of perception. How do you see the world? And I do this by Let's do a little bit of a word association thing, and this will break the ice a little bit. Um, when you think of Japan, what comes to mind? What comes to mind when you think of Japan? Sushi, thank you. Okay. Come on. They're, huh? Crowded, thank you. Don't be shy. I'm Fast trains, thank you. How about over here? Sumo wrestling, thank you. One more. Mount Fuji, okay. So those are some of the answers I typically get. So um, let me go through. We've, we've been doing this all summer. So I've compiled a kind of some of the responses that I get. I sometimes get the cherry blossoms, okay. This is kind of an iconic picture. I really like this picture because it sums up Japan in kind of a nutshell. So Mount Fuji was, uh, was mentioned earlier. And uh, below it, you see the iconic bullet train. So both of those were mentioned, right? And uh, Japan is a nation usually associated with high technology. So they run these trains at 100 to 150 miles per hour, right? So, you know, when you're going through, you, you go and you see the telephone poles going, you know, next to you. And they've just unveiled a new prototype bullet train that hits 300 miles per hour. You know, can you imagine being on a ground vehicle that, that fast, right? Um, let's see. So, uh, so, whoops, someone mentioned the crowdedness, right? You know, and, and the perfect example of this is Tokyo. Um, the, the population of Ohio, I looked it up, is around 11 million people, okay? But the population of the greater Tokyo area, that one city area, is 36 million people. Right? So three times the population of Ohio living in one city. You know, we've had folks apply to WGM to, you know, to go to Japan. And we had this one young man say, you know, I love Japan and I feel called to minister in Tokyo. And we said, that's great. That's wonderful that the Lord did. And he said, but, you know, I don't do crowded places well. You know, I, I get just anxiety attacks, and I have claustrophobia, and we said you may want to pray about your calling there. Uh, but you can see all of this, right? We don't bring teams to Japan to build buildings. Let's put it that way. 
<laughs> okay, we don't do building projects in Japan. Okay, uh, you know, some of you may know the sports. We had an Olympics there, people. Uh, so uh, the sumo wrestling was mentioned, karate and, and judo and aikido and karate. How many have taken some form of Japanese martial arts? Has anyone? No? Yeah? Okay. Someone's got a Honda parked out back, right? You know, or a Toyota, Nissan, Mazda. Um, you know, your Honda was probably built in Marysville, but... We'll, we'll, we'll ignore, you know, your Toyota was probably put together in Lexington, Kentucky, but we'll call them Japanese. <laughs> you know, a lot of our iconic brand names, right? Sony, Yamaha, um, Canon, uh, Epson, you know, Panasonic, a lot of these iconic brand names. Uh, things we do without, you know, the products we use and consume without thinking every day, right? These are all Japanese. It's too bad I don't get to talk to the kids. You know, uh, I, I usually do a thing like with, with the folks I, I talk to, and you know, I ask them, how many things in that picture can you recognize, right? And, and I can usually guess the age bracket by how many things people can name on, the, uh, on that particular slide. Can anyone recognize anything on that, on that slide? Okay, yeah. All right, so we've got a, we've got a couple people there in the back, but some of the, you know, the more recent Intrusions of pop culture, right? A lot of your more recent Netflix shows and so forth do come out of Japan. Um, so I don't know if there's anyone old enough in this room, but you know, if you've studied history, you remember kind of a dark and tragic legacy of when Japan was considered enemy, right? So that comes to mind every now and then. Uh, some people may re uh, remember kind of the more exotic aspects, right? The samurai and the ninja and the castles and so forth. Uh, the, the natural beauty often comes to mind, and, and the Japanese combine that with a real sense of manicured or landscaped beauty, right? In, in Japan, I was talking to, talking to Dr. Cockerell earlier, and presentation is everything, right? Your every day is about a passionate pursuit of perfection, Every day is about getting better at whatever it is you're doing, aiming toward perfection, right? So uh, my, I'm going to give you all a little break. Uh, you all came here to see Izumi. So uh, she's going to share a little bit about where we live and minister, because she's the charming one. <laughs> Probably you may have heard of Tokyo. Maybe you watched Olympics last year, but you never heard of Shimonoseki. So first of all, where do you think Shimonoseki actually is? This is our place where we're serving and where we're living. If you think you know, please raise your hand. Oh, yes? You told me something, okay. If anyone... Don't worry, this is not test or quiz, so please feel free. I'm, I'm going to guess maybe down in the southern part, Fuji, yeah. Yes, you're right. Yes. Um, this is a Tokyo. It's a capital of Japan. And here is a Shimonoseki. Actually, it's over 600 miles from Shimonoseki to Tokyo. That's uh, like the distance from here to Boston. As you can see, it lies between the big island of Japan and the southernmost island. And you can see there is a bridge between them. There is actually underwater tunnel as well. And Shimonoseki is famous for the pufferfish. So if you visit us, please try it. It's to die for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Here is a phrase I practice most. <laughs> Uh, here is our church where we're serving. It once was a guest house for a, prof, pro, a university professor, but it has redeemed for a holy purpose. And now we have 15 in average in attendance, and a few are attending by Zoom. Now you can see we have a table, so they can put on Bible and hymns, and they can take notes. 
Is this like your church? So I began this morning with a question of perception. When you think of Japan, what comes to mind? Um, you know, there's so many aspects of Japanese culture that really influence us, and a lot of things, you know, we don't think about, from, from jet skis to emoji, all of these are, you know, Japanese word. Um, but let me tell you, I, I would challenge you this morning Let's, look at the, let's try to look at the world through God's eyes this morning. Um, because God sees the people who are troubled. God sees the children who are lonely. God sees the, the people who are walking around in life without a sense of purpose. Because when we boil it down, the insecurities and the doubts of the people in Japan concern matters just like ours. There's financial problems, there's educational problems, there's family problems, there's questions of meaning in this world that's so chaotic and so broken. And as with any society in this complicated age, the people of Japan are asking very simple but very fundamental questions. For what is it that I'm living? Why can't I have the victorious, abundant life? Why can't I have joy in all kinds of circumstances? The people in Japan want to know how to live, not tomorrow, but today. And you've seen all the different ways that Japanese culture has influenced us, right? Even here in Ohio. And yet, how are we returning that? What will be our influence on the people of Japan? Will it be KFC and Starbucks and Disney and Apple and Boeing and Instagram? Will it be English and leadership practices and business models? And all of those things are good things. Or will it be something fruitful? Will the fruit of our lives be life-giving and eternal? Will we be vessels for the kingdom? You see, the miracle story that we began with this morning speaks to all of us who bear the name of Jesus Christ, all of us who are disciples, all of us who have chosen to leave behind an old life and to come and follow him. Because we look around us and we look at our communities and we look at our cities and we see nothing in front of us but overwhelming, heartbreaking need, right? Who are my 5,000? You know, I look across Japan and evangelical Christianity in Japan, and these numbers still boggle me to this day. 0.5%, the, the number of those who have said they're born again has never crossed 0.5%. Now, let me flip that no, number over. That means on any given day, 99.5% of the people you will meet are headed for a Christless eternity. 99 to 99.5 to 99.8%. Half of those will, will never meet a Christian in their lifetimes, if the statistics are true. And that means on a practical, everyday level, those who do choose to follow Christ, they're often alone in this journey. Of course, Jesus Christ is with them. But it makes a whole lot of difference when you have brothers and sisters around you. Amen? Because... Imagine being the only follower of Jesus Christ in your school, in your workplace, in your family, which is so often the case. And I'm going to share some stories a little bit later. 24 cities still, each with a population of over 50,000 people, have no church, not a single church, not a single community of Jesus Christ. I don't know what to do with all of those numbers, folks. And you look across Japan and, you know, just place by place by place, all over the symptoms of just despair are all over the place. Did you know in 2021, the Japanese appointed a secretary of loneliness for their cabinet? A secretary of loneliness to combat social isolation. You know, a cabinet-level official in their government, 
So in the face of such overwhelming circumstances and such huge need, the easy response is to say, well, Lord, we're in a deserted place. Let them go find their own food. Let all these people around me go and find their own way to God. Let them go take care of their own problems. You know, I have my own spiritual needs to take care of. I have my own spiritual life to deal with. You know, I've got my own family problems. Those people are all the way across the world. Let them figure out what they're going to do. Here's the problem, folks, though. Whenever there's need, it touches the heart of God. And Jesus turns to his followers, he turns to us, and he says those powerful words, you give them something to eat. Jesus, do you mean that? You're joking, right? 125 million in the nation of Japan, over 124 million of them don't know you. Half of those people will never meet a follower of Jesus Christ in their lifetime. Quarter million in our own city we're supposed to do this in the middle of a pandemic? We're supposed to do this as costs are rising across the world? But do you want to, you want to know why we do what we do? Because folks, we have hope. We have an opportunity as disciples. Did you read to the end of the story? We have a time of opportunity because the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is as mighty to save as it has ever been. How many believe that? Because when you read the beginning of this chapter, he, he, he sends them out with nothing but his power and his authority and the grace of God already at work ahead of them, the prevenient grace that we so often talk about and sing about. He sends them out and he says, go change things in my name. And you know what? They do it. Because I'm a disciple of Jesus and because for that matter, you all are disciples of Jesus. Because we've chosen to follow him, we have no choice when he turns to us and he says, you give them something to eat. And so why do we do what we do? Because we believe that God has not given up on Japan. We believe in the midst of these circumstances, we have an opportunity to see Jesus' power in action. Because we're doing this because we believe Jesus. We have to believe Jesus every day when he said the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. All the power you'll ever need. Now be my witnesses. That's the part two. Be my witnesses. And we're seeing greater and greater receptivity to the gospel, folks. They're coming. They're coming maybe in their ones and twos, but they're coming, and I pray, I pray, I pray that we will be ready. And when I say we, I mean all of us, the church, the body of Christ. Are we going to be ready to accept them? Are we going to be ready for them? Notice what happens in the story. The crowd sits down in small groups, and small group by small group, the disciples begin to serve. And small group by small group, that crowd, that overwhelming need, is fed to satisfaction from the hand of the bread of life himself. Izumi's going to share one example about where we've seen God's hand at work uh, recently. I didn't expect that becoming a mother would open doors to ministry. Aromi were many first and second time mothers, and we became good friends because we shared our experience and trial. They were always interested in us as a couple, and they approached us and asked us if we could teach their kids to English. So we started baby English. One mother, after a few months of classes, was looking at church bulletin board. So I gave her a flyer for some of the Easter events, and she was surprised. I didn't know that. The church also celebrates Easter, she said. That comment really shows what it is like to be a Christian in Japan. While they come to learn English, we pray for them, and some of them have come to, about the church, come to ask about the church as well. After Christmas, one mother came to me and said, Izumi, why didn't you invite me to come? 
I was very embarrassed. But I also realized that she was seeking something beyond just English. Every experience in life is a possible opportunity to connect someone who needs Jesus. That's how we believe God's salvation and his transformation and the growth of his kingdom come about. You know, we love and we pray for those great Pentecost moments where revival breaks out and thousands are swept into the kingdom. But we also know that the kingdom works like a mustard seed, slowly, secretly, in the darkness of the soil, in the hidden places of people's hearts. And so we sow and we sow and we sow and we sow. And we trust that God will provide the increase. Let me, let me just share a few examples. You know, the Lord has really opened up doors across our city. And praise God, we have more opportunities than we know what to do with. They come to us for all sorts of things. And one of the things recently is we have had the opportunity to go into a lot of our local schools. This is one of our high schools in the area. And we just get to go in and freely unhindered, you know, like Paul's, like in the book of Acts. Free and without hindrance, we get to go in and share the gospel message to them. I was a teacher, folks, here in the United States. I would never get to do that. This is a privilege, you know, missionaries dream of, right? You know, going into schools and just getting to share love on them and share the gospel with folks. And this is one of the universities, same thing. We get to go in, and we get to talk. We get to talk about Jesus, folks. I've got the best job in the world. During the pandemic in 2020, um, it, it, the, the pandemic began to abate somewhat. And the local chapter of the Gideons reached out to us. And because of the pandemic, um, there had been a lot, a lot of projects had been shut down. And so they reached out to us and they said, you know, we've got tons of Bibles in warehouses and they've been stored up. But we don't have any folks to dist distribute all these Bibles and we don't know what to do with them. So we partnered with them and we would go outside to local schools and first, the first thing is you have to talk to the principals, right? You can't, the, you can't just show up outside of school because, you know, who knows what you're passing out to the kids. But praise God, every single principal not only agreed, but they welcomed it. So, step one. So, we do this, and four or five of us would gather together in the mornings. So, 7, 7.30, you know, before school begins. And we'd stand outside the main gates of these schools, and we hand out these Bibles, Okay, so you see some of them there in the basket. And this is a COVID pre precaution, folks. So because the pandemic was still ongoing, we couldn't go and just shove Bibles in people's face and say, here, take them, right? So what we had to do was we had to, you know, we had to maintain some sort of social distance. So you'll, know, you'll notice in a lot of we're wearing gloves and we're, we're masked up. But we have these baskets, and, you know, the students had to come up to us. They had to approach us to get these Bibles. So the good thing about that is we're not passing off Bibles on those who really don't want them, okay? We're not giving them out to those who are uninterested. They have to have an interest. They have to take a proactive step to draw near to you and take one out of the basket, right? So that shows at least some level of interest there. Okay, and you know, we're not deceiving them. Those big signs that you see say, you know, Bibles, free gift, right? So we're not, you know, we're, we're not coming with some sort of hidden agenda, you know. Um, and so we did this for over a period of about four or five months in some of our local schools. And we did this, and we did this, and we did this. And remember, the student, only the students who are interested in these are taking them. And over the end of that time, we counted up. And a lot of times, and we weren't sure, you know, a lot of times we ran out of them. But at the end of that about four or five month period, we had given out 830 of these. Standing outside public schools, folks. You tell me that people are not hungry for the, for the gospel. People aren't searching. I beg to differ. 
And I believe that no one who has been touched by God's word will ever be the same again. One final story. Izumi is going to share with you, and then we're going to enter the wrap things up. On May of 2020, our church suffered unexpected tragedy. One lady had a history of struggling mentally and emotionally. One month after being released from hospital, she was found in her apartment. Her service was held at a local funeral home. The funeral home had never held a Christian service before, and the staff was very moved. About a month later, a company's president reached out to the church and asked us to film a documentary about everything in Christianity, our belief, the Bible, the hope of life and salvation. She said, I have, I have seen many funerals before. I thought you were crying, but I saw everyone singing hymns. But I felt something different I never felt. I knew there is a hope and comfort and I want to know what's the secret of this. She promised us every staff member would see the video and know about what means to follow Christ. So because in God, and I say this in the middle of a global pandemic and a raging war in Eastern Europe, death and our sinfulness and our brokenness never get the last word. This gospel, I was reading in Matthew 24 this morning, and all the, Jesus describes all the symptoms of the signs of the ends of the age and the wars and the rumors of wars. You all know that passage. But he ends this way. How do you know the end's going to come? Because this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world as a witness to the nations, and then the end will come from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. You better believe we believe in resurrection power because we live in it every single day. So now comes the hard part. How do we respond when Jesus says, you give them something to eat? We look at what's on our hands. We look with anxiety at the rising gas prices and inflation. And we look at the five small barley loaves and two small fish and we say, what can we do? What good is any of this? Even if we could somehow bring together eight months' salary, one of the other Gospels say, says, it, it wouldn't be enough. Remember, Lord, you're the one. Remember the beginning of the chapter? You're the one who told us when you sent us out we weren't supposed to bring a staff or a bag or bread or money or extra clothes or a pickup truck or a smartphone or a credit card, right? You told us not to bring these other things. How are we ever going to do what you've asked us to do? But there's no spoilers necessary here, folks. You know how the story ends. Because the important part of the miracle story is not what we have in our hands, but to whom we give it. The disciples brought all that they had to Jesus, and he blessed it, and they began to serve the people around them. And we may not have very much to offer to the Lord, folks. In fact, let me be honest with you, it's scary in this current climate to give anything to missions. But if we can trust him with the little that we have, if we can entrust him with our all, something amazing and wonderful, dare I say miraculous, begins to happen. And small group by small group and little by little, Jesus met the needs of the people. And in the same way, individual by individual, small group by small group, little flock by little flock, Izumi and I have begun to serve our community and to pass out our own broken pieces. And guess what? We found that Jesus has been at work the entire time in miraculous ways. You know, one of my first as I began this, this missionary journey, one of the first places I spoke at this little church in Oregon. And afterwards, this little old gentleman came up to me. And he had been a Marine during the Second World War on Okinawa. And he described to me just the 
total bitterness that he had felt toward the Japanese people. He described the, just the sheer brutality of both sides against each other. And he described, you know, he, he told me horrific stories, and he said how they would shoot one another's wounded, you know, both sides. And, and he said, you know, we, you know, we shot people trying to surrender and, and so forth, and just all these stories. But at the end, of, you know, and here's, here's the power of the gospel in a nutshell, folks. He told me the most beautiful line, I've never forgotten it. He said, my generation sacrificed to defeat the Japanese. We gave our all. I wonder that we could do that one more time to win them for the kingdom. And that, because that's the power of the gospel, folks. It doesn't just transform the ones among whom we minister. We always find that it's also transformed us. And so we will find that when we're willing to, to sacrifice, when we're willing to entrust the little that we have, we find that it's no sacrifice at all, that the result is abundance. You know, as always, we know those of you who are willing to commit to, to praying for us, um, I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. But the miracle in this story begins with prayer. Jesus, with complete trust in the heavenly, his heavenly Father, he orients his attention. Do you, do you see how the miracle begins? He orients his attention not toward the little bit that is in front of him, but to heaven. And he, to the infinite resources of heaven itself. And so we need folks to come alongside us and to intercede every single day because we need you to link shields with us. The enemy is fighting tooth and nail for each and every captive who is set free. And believe me, so many times we have been at the end of, ends of ourselves and in that moment, God has shown up. Right in, right in that moment, you know, we've, we, the temptation is to despair. And God shows up and there's breakthrough. And someone has reached out and said, you know, I was praying for you today. So I want you to consider this. Let me challenge you a little bit. Every time you use a Japanese product, every time you, you know, if I was talking to young people, you know, you break out your PlayStation or your headphones or you drive your car, you play a keyboard, I would challenge you to say a prayer for those of us who are ministering in Japan. I would challenge you to look at the world through kingdom eyes. And finally, and this is nearest and dearest to my heart, we need people who are, as I crisscross the United States, this is number one on my wish list. We need people who are willing to go. This event is recorded in the scriptures in all four gospels, and believe it or not, people told this story. It was important to them. They went around and they told the people around them, this is what Jesus did. We don't know what he did, we were, but we were hungry and we ate and we were satisfied. That was Jesus again. And I'm glad for those who told the story before me, and I'm glad for those who are telling the story now, and I'm glad for the generation that's going to tell the story after me. This is what Jesus can do. This is what Jesus did. And this is what he's still doing. Um, you know, one of the, the passages of Scripture that haunts me is Jonah chapter 4. You know how the, the story of Jonah ends? We wish it ended with widespread revival, but it doesn't. And I hate, that chap I hate that chapter of Jonah because Jonah finds himself sitting outside the city. And he's complaining. He gets a little whiny. And I know we're holiness folk, and we don't do that. We never complain about the temperature. And actually, Jonah is complaining about the temperature, believe it or not. And God is doing this widespread revival from the least to the greatest in the city of Nineveh, right? You know how the story ends. 
And this is what haunts me, because Jonah, who represents the people of God, he finds himself sitting outside of what God is doing. I never want to find myself in that position. I want to find myself smack dab in the middle of whatever God is doing. And this is the chance, folks. You know, in 2019, we had a, a team from Ohio Christian University, a team of seven students and their young leader, and they chose to sacrifice them, their summer to, to work with us in Shimonoseki. And they knew no Japanese, and a lot of, you know, I think like six of them had never been out of the state of Ohio before, so this very state. But do you want to know what? To this day, we are still reaping the harvest of what those young men and women did. I can tell you unequivocally that they shaped the lives of thousands. And we know that. We know that for sure. Because of their willingness to say, God, let me do something. They spoke at schools. They shared their testimonies. They played soccer with kids. And they just beamed love to everyone they met. And I think if you were to ask them, they would say that God did something wonderful in their lives as well. Who will be the people who are courageously willing to step forward and say, Lord, use me? Young, young men and women from this very state, will you be next? Will it be your sons? Will it be your daughters, your grandchildren? Because more than the giving of your resources and more than offering up prayers, what we ultimately need to give is ourselves. And even back here in the United States, we need to think about what we can do. And it can only be done through the Holy Spirit, folks. But 1,600 Japanese return home every year from abroad with a newfound faith in Jesus Christ because someone cared enough to show them the love of Christ, to live out the gospel to them. Let me tell you two quick stories. Whoops. This young lady... We got a call one Sunday morning, it was during COVID, and you don't like to get those calls, especially when you're in the leadership of a small church, because usually it's your piano player saying, I can't make it this morning, you know, and that means Izumi's got to play the piano, or, you know, we've got to find someone really quickly, or I can't teach Sunday school this morning, which means I'm going to have to do it, and you just dread those calls that happen, but it happened to be this young lady, and she told us her story. She had been in San Diego, and she had been an exchange student. And the family with whom she had stayed and the folks around her had really shown her the love of Christ. And she knew nothing about this. But she found her life shaped and transformed, born again. And she returned to Japan with this newfound faith in Jesus Christ, and immediately, whoops, and immediately, she, came, she ran smack dab into conflict with her parents. What have you done? What have you done? We sent you to the United States to study. And there, there was battle after battle. You are not going to that church. You are not going to church. We forbid it. And battle after battle and argument after argument. And finally she said, you know what? I'm going to show them the love of Christ. And her father especially was, was resistant, and she said to her father, she said, Father, if you allow me to go, if you allow me to go to church, I will clean every bathroom in this house. If you allow me to go on Sunday morning. When was the last time we were that excited about church, folks? And she, and she did this, and she did this, and she did this, and finally even God began to work in her parents' lives. And they noticed the transformation in them. And, and they said, you know, honey, you're going to be late. You better, go to, you better go to church. Please go. That's the power of the gospel, folks. One more story. This is a, another gentleman you may not know. It's, it's a man named Morinaga. And... In 1865, he was born in 1865, which, if you know your history, is the year our own civil war ended. But he found himself alone in the streets of San Francisco, broke, alone, orphaned. 
And everywhere he turned, this is around the turn of the century United States, and everywhere he turned, he just ran into prejudice. Go home, little Jap boy. And, and just broken and in despair, he almost walked off the end of a bridge. And he felt himself in that moment as he was standing on the edge, he, he, he described later that he, was un, he felt himself mysteriously restrained. And he, he wasn't able to explain it. He felt just something holding him back physically in that moment. And a little while later, an elderly Irish couple crossed the street and they came over to him and they offered him a single piece of candy, which he had never had before. And he said, and they said, and they, they, they began to share with him. And they shared, you know, your life has value. You know, this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Elderly Irish couple. And they began to share with him and share with him and share with him. And he returned to Japan with a newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And he started a little candy, candy cart that he would push around. And if you could read the top of his cart right there, he wrote the words to 1 Timothy 1.15. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And he began by selling marshmallows, and later he would sell these little caramels. And today, his candy company is the largest and oldest in Japan. Multi, multi-billion dollar company. And yet, if you look at the products, you still see influences that little box of cookies says manna, folks. And on the top of the caramels, and you'll see this, we'll have some of them on the table later. It still has the angel on it. It began with an encouraging word and a piece of candy in an elderly Irish couple willing to reach out to a desperate, out-of-place young man. Because when God told them to go, all they had to do was cross the street, and they changed Japan forever. So, who will be the next person to hear that call? I thank you for your commitment. Let me close it out. I thank you for your commitment to God's work. Many of you have become our voice to the people around you. You've championed our work. You've blessed us in so many ways. You've sacrificed for victory. You've become vessels of his kingdom. So thank you about sharing about our need. Thank you for, for caring about what's happening in Japan. Thank you for telling the story of the two little missionaries and the big, big God that they serve. May he bless each one of you. We do have our prayer cards in the back. So I, I've gotten a lot of questions this week, so I want to clear it up once and for all so I don't... Oops. Um, if you get the card, if you've got one of our old cards, please throw it away. We hate it too. Okay, it was ugly and it had a, it had a temple on it, which we didn't particularly like. And so just throw it away, rip it up. You have our permission. But you'll notice they're, they're tear-off cards. So on it, um, you'll, you'll see our picture and it's got Mihoko's picture, which is what you really want, right? So go ahead and stick that in your Bible, put, it, put that on your refrigerator. On the back is all of our contact information. So it's got our email, it's got our phone number in Japan, don't call it, it's gonna be long distance and you're gonna hate us. Uh, but please, uh, please feel free to reach out to us at any time. We've got a lot of Zoom meetings with those people back here in the States and they call us up and they let us know how things are going or email us, find us on Facebook. Um, you know, it just makes our day when we get to talk to the people from, from back home. So please do that. There's also a response side to the card. So all you have to do, uh, our greatest need at this point if, is for those to, to partner with us monthly. 
Okay, so uh, I, I've been looking around the room, and I think if, if my math is correct, if everyone in the room did $20, we're done. You know, $20 a month is all we need. If everyone in the room did that, we're done. You know, it's not a whole lot. Um, but thank you. Thank you for that. And all you have to do is either fill out one of these cards, uh, either give it to one of us, or you can just drop it in the mail to World Gospel Mission, and it will get to, to where it's going, okay? So you stick it in the mail, or you can give it to one of us. Uh, if, if the Lord leads you, there's plenty of fine missionaries, and we want to give a, um, if the Lord leads you to, to support one of, you know, the other uh, wonderful missionaries, please be obedient to him. That's most, uh, that is most important, and that's our heart as well. Thank you. Let me say a word of prayer, and then we'll end. I realize we went a little bit over. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the way that you reveal yourself in so many ways. Thank you for the privilege it is to be your witnesses, to share the incredible, life-changing, transforming work that you have done in each of us. Whether it's our Judea, whether it's our Jerusalem, our Judea, or Samaria, or yes, even to the uttermost ends of the earth. But Father, I pray for your work. Your kingdom continues to advance, no matter how tempted we may be to despair, no matter the brokenness that we see all around us, you are still at work. Small group by small group, individual by individual, your gospel is still going forward. Because this gospel must first be preached as a testimony, as a witness to the kingdom. And then only the end can come. So, Father, I pray, I pray for this work. I pray that you will, you will multiply the work of our hands. That you will return for our obedience. That you will, uh, that you will multiply our work with the fruitfulness that only you can give. Lord Jesus, we love you this morning, and we thank you for all that you're doing. In your name we pray.